Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return, including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhereskies. Thank you, and keep looking up. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. During the afternoon of May 6, 1978, at around 4.30 p.m., a shiny cylindrical-shaped object came screaming out of the skies over Bolivia's Tarija department near the border with Argentina's Salta province. This object then crashed into a remote mountain called El Zaire near the Bermejo River. Before it slammed into the mountainside, many witnesses who saw the event recalled how thick, dark smoke spewed from the object as it tore through the skies. Many others, who were about a hundred miles away, heard a huge sonic boom-like explosion, with some suffering from shattered windows in their respective properties. Also seen was a thick, rising column of smoke that rose into the air following the crash. One of the witnesses, a border intelligence agent named Juan Hurtado, claimed to the local press that the object was like a huge wine container that was spewing smoke. He claimed that he and three other witnesses saw it quite clearly as it went overhead. Of the impact itself, Juan claimed that it was so strong that it threw him down on the ground and that it felt like the whole earth had trembled. Corporal Natalio Farfan Ruiz of the Bolivian military offered that he didn't know what would have happened if this UFO had fallen on houses in the area. He had also witnessed the cylindrical object, claiming that he thought, quote, the end of the world was coming. Two Argentinian border police officers, Eduardo Samón and Bienvenido Ortega, also witnessed the events while on patrol duty in the village of Aguas Blancas due to a local soccer match that resulted in a crowd of several hundreds of people. They would claim that a, quote, luminous flash captured their attention, causing them to look up. When they did, 
they saw a distinctly metallic oval-shaped object with smoke emanating from it and leaving a trail behind it. Only seconds later, they heard a huge explosion. The incident was witnessed by the soccer match crowd and even the players themselves. All of the witnesses also claimed to see a thick black smoke rising. Back on the Bolivian side of the border, and only seconds after the two Argentinian police officers witnessed the quote, metallic fireball pass over their heads, an engineer, Velez Orozco, was in the middle of conducting a survey when the cylindrical object passed by seconds before the explosion. An explosion, incidentally, he would specifically state was much louder than one caused by a meteorite. Eventually, the Bolivian Air Force would launch several fighter jets to patrol and inspect the region. Ultimately, they would detect an apparent rock slide on the hill where the object was said to have crashed. Several search missions were launched, but only one, led by Major German Salejas, managed to make it to the apparent impact site. According to several local newspaper reports, a metallic dull cylinder was recovered approximately 15 feet long and containing some dents. The same report also stated that, quote, NASA would take charge of the discovery. The incident received almost instant media attention, not just in Bolivia, but across all of South America. But the interest didn't end there. Perhaps as a consequence, there appeared to be much confusion in some of the details contained in these media reports. For example, while some reported a meteorite had crashed, other reports outright said that an alien vehicle had landed. Those who spoke to the police who investigated the incident were told almost universally by the officers that given the many descriptions by those who witnessed the event, they were certain it was a metallic cylindrical object of unknown origin, a UFO. There was also confusion as to where the object had actually come down, with some stating it had crashed on the Argentinian side of the border, as opposed to the actual location in Bolivia. It was also interesting that the United States government had an active interest in the incident, so much so that they appeared to involve themselves in the investigations that followed. For example, Many newspaper reports mentioned NASA experts who had arrived in the region a short time after the event. Perhaps of particular interest were the two American military officers who were said to have arrived in the region, quote, on vacation, but who the local press, who photographed their arrival, suggested were likely plain-clothed operatives of some sort. Of even further interest were the rumors suggested that a large capsule and several other fragments were recovered by this U.S. recovery team and quickly taken into their possession before being transported to the United States on an Air Force Hercules cargo plane. Incidentally, later released documents by the United States would confirm both their interest in the alleged crash and their presence in Bolivia shortly after under Project Moondust and Operation Blue Fly. These programs were tasked with recovering space debris that fell to Earth, specifically Soviet space satellites that could be studied and assessed. However, 
Many UFO researchers have suggested that this was merely a cover so that these programs could retrieve crashes of alleged vehicles of unknown origin. The two U.S. officers were later identified as Colonel Robert Simmons and Major John Heese, both of whom worked specifically on Project Moondust. An official CIA report would state that they were aware of a potentially crashed object in the region, and that, quote, Argentinian and Uruguayan radio stations are reporting on this event more frequently, adding that they were also reporting that, quote, Bolivian authorities have urgently requested assistance from NASA. Another official U.S. document dated May 18th, drafted by Colonel Robert Eddington, of the State Department's Bureau of Oceans, International Environment, and Scientific Affairs was uncovered through the Freedom of Information Act. The document was labeled secret and also contained the name of Secretary of State Cyrus Vance. It would state that the agency had checked with appropriate governments regarding the Tariha case and found no direct correlation with known space objects that may have re-entered the Earth's atmosphere. They went on to state that, quote, we are continuing to examine any possibilities. It would continue that operatives should note information pertaining to pre-impact observations, direction or trajectory, number of objects observed, time of impact, and a detailed description, including any markings. The location was also visited by UFO investigator Charles Tucker, from the International UFO Investigation Bureau. And joining Tucker was UFO journalist Bob Pratt. They would speak with many of the witnesses, including members of the Bolivian search teams. In fact, Pratt would even attempt to reach the crash site himself, but was unable to negotiate the rough terrain. As opposed to the claims that something was recovered at the location and handed over to US authorities, Pratt believed the claims to be inaccurate at best. He would state several years later, after the incident, that there was a lot of misinformation regarding the events, and that while he believed something did crash in the remote mountain, it was likely the object was buried under a landslide it created. So the question remains, was this an actual UFO, or could it have been something terrestrial? Was it, for example, a satellite or even a piece of space debris? We know that these objects have indeed fallen from the skies out of orbit and impacted on the ground. However, how would that explain the huge explosion that all the witnesses reported, and that some even felt the aftershock of the impact, even though they were as far away as a hundred miles? Veteran UFO researcher Nick Redfern highlights further intriguing statements made in CIA documents. For example, one such document offered that, quote, people in San Luis and Mendoza provinces reported seeing a flying saucer squadron flying in formation, adding that, quote, the general region has had more than its share of reports of UFOs during the time of this alleged UFO crash. Redfern also relays information regarding events that took place behind the scenes, highlighting information that was passed to another UFO researcher, Leonard Stringfield, in June of 1979, 
a little over a year after the apparent crash. Stringfield was contacted by an investigator from Argentina, Nicolas Ojedo. He would claim that he had heard reports of a group of investigators who vanished mysteriously in the area of the crash, adding that something big had definitely taken place. He would further add that a U.S. cargo plane carried something from the area shortly after. The claims of recovered UFO wreckage leaving the country on a U.S. cargo plane were further corroborated by Robert Berry, a noted UFO researcher who claimed a CIA source had confirmed that the flight definitely did take place. Perhaps in a way of purposely telling Berry to read between the lines, when he was asked what was on the plane, the source simply replied, no comment. That something crashed in the region that afternoon then is almost beyond doubt. Whether it was an extraterrestrial vehicle of some sort or not, though, remains unknown. And this wouldn't be the only claimed UFO event in the area at around the same time. Across the border in Argentina, another incident would take place two days prior to the Bolivia crash. In Via Mercedes, San Luis, according to a 1966 article, in Flying Saucer Review, a blinding blue light in the sky caused a traffic accident. Shortly afterward, approximately a hundred residents of the city witnessed around 50 greenish-blue UFOs moving over the city. As they moved, witnesses recalled how they performed extraordinary maneuvers. At one stage, the objects arranged themselves into two separate formations before rejoining once more as one huge flying squadron. In today's world, this case could simply be attributed to drone swarms, but this was 1978, long before any type of commercial technology like this could have been used. Even more intriguing, some of the witnesses even recalled seeing a saucer-shaped craft land nearby and a small figure emerged wearing a tight-fitting green uniform. After inspecting the area around the vehicle, it re-entered the craft and disappeared. Another encounter highlighted by Rosales and featuring in an article titled UFO Abduction at Botucato occurred just six days at just before 11 p.m. on May 10th in Rio Grande do Sul in Brazil. On the night in question, an unnamed witness was walking home when he noticed a strange glowing object moving overhead. Of more concern, the object was descending to the ground at considerable pace and ultimately approached a nearby field. The witness stopped where he was and observed the bizarre object, noticing that it was circular shaped and made of a metallic looking material. It also appeared to be encased in a strange ball of flame. As he continued to watch, the object emitted two bright beams of white light, which reached the ground as it continued downward. Then he noticed the appearance of four metallic legs on the object's underside. The witness began to approach the fence that ran along the field where the UFO was descending. Before he realized what was happening, however, Two short beings, each dressed in a shiny tight-fitting suit, approached and grabbed him. As the entities marched him to the now-waiting craft, he noticed how they had a helmet on their heads with a dark visor covering their face. 
he was soon inside the ship, in a room that was brightly lit. He also noticed how the air appeared to be warm and dense and made it difficult for him to breathe. He noticed there were two more entities at a console inside the room. Judging by their long hair, they appeared female and were slightly taller than the two figures who'd brought him inside the craft. The witness claimed he was told that they would take him to their home planet, at which point he begged them to let him go. Ultimately, the beings agreed to do so, and he was allowed to leave the ship via a stairway that reached the ground. A short time later, the object began to rise into the air before it shot off at high speeds. What's up guys, Ryan dropping in to wish you all a very happy Halloween season. And what better way to celebrate than with Jim Harold's Campfire Podcast. With over 500 episodes of Campfire, you'll hear stories that will bend your reality and leave you truly spooked. The concept is pretty simple. Jim talks to regular folks about strange stuff that happens to them. And yes, that includes UFOs and UAPs, along with cryptids and, of course, ghosts. Now, not all the stories are horrifying. Some are pretty heartwarming, like a visit from a past loved one or a peaceful near-death experience. Regardless, they are true and fascinating stories, as told by ordinary people who've had extraordinary experiences. So, pull up a log and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Somewhere in the Skies. And remember, stay spooky. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Returning a bit back to Earth. In Bolivia, the apparent crash in Tarija is just one of many in the area. Perhaps one of the earliest on record goes all the way back to December 6, 1914, in Cochabamba. 
The encounter comes to us from the files of UFO researcher Lucy Guzman, who informed fellow researcher Albert Rosales of this incident. On the night in question, at just before 4 a.m., David Mendiola Vilhes was awoken by a strange noise outside his home. He claimed the sound was similar to that of an airplane turbine engine. However, when he ventured outside to investigate, he could clearly see a large, gray, metallic, cigar-shaped craft descending in a field near the cemetery. He further noticed that the object was enveloped in a strange electricity. Then, things got even stranger. He set out from his home looking to get a closer look, and was almost instantly surrounded by a strange white light. Before he could contemplate what was happening, and with no memory of entering it, he found himself inside the craft. The first thing Vilhez noticed was that he was surrounded by several monstrous entities, as he called them. He would describe these creatures as being very tall and thin, and with particularly large eyes. He would further note that their skin was covered in some kind of disgusting mucus, and that their legs were similar to octopus tentacles. Although he'd recall that some kind of examination took place, he couldn't recall the details of the incident. The next thing he knew, he was back outside his home. Over half a century after the apparent abduction in Cochabamba, in early 1968, according to an article in the 1970 edition of Flying Saucer Review by David Webb and Ted Blocker, another apparent encounter with a humanoid entity had occurred. This time in Atoki Potosi. The report states that Valentina Flores was returning to her farm in order to get her sheep and llamas in their shelter, when she noticed a strange humanoid figure standing in her field. The figure was wearing what appeared to be a sort of plastic-looking net. But what really caught her attention was that this mysterious being appeared to be attacking the agitated sheep. She began to run toward the scene, shouting as loud as she could in order to get the figure to cease its assault on her animals. The closer she got, however, the more she realized this figure was something a little more out of the ordinary than just a robber or someone assaulting the animals. She could see it was wearing a one-piece suit that was of a color she struggled to describe. It also had a helmet on its head that appeared smoky and so concealed its facial features. When she got closer, she realized that whatever it was it had already killed several of her sheep, and had seemingly done so by ripping out their internal organs, using what looked like a long tube with a hooked end. At this point, the humanoid had noticed the approaching woman and turned to face her, throwing the hooked tube towards her. It then inflicted several more wounds upon her. Strangely, she noticed that each time the humanoid threw the tube at her, it appeared moments later, as if it were a boomerang. The woman eventually managed to pick up stones from the ground and hurl them towards the attacker. It eventually retreated to a box-like craft that she hadn't seen previously. This violent being entered the object and rose up into the air a short time later. 
When Floris examined the scene after gathering her thoughts, more than 30 sheep had been killed. In early October of 2005, according to reports in La Patria newspaper, multiple unidentified objects were witnessed over eastern Aurora. These objects were witnessed by thousands of residents in the region. The sightings began at around 10.30 p.m. on the night in question, when local citizens noticed two strange objects with red, green, and blue lights in the sky. They remained there for several moments before vanishing into thin air. A short time later, other residents of the region witnessed a silver circular UFO that appeared to have a smaller object spinning around it. One witness, Abel Flores Mojico, would comment to the media that at first he and his daughter thought the UFO was a planet, possibly Mars. However, when they noticed the speed that it was moving, combined with the fact that it had different colored lights on it, they realized this was not Mars. It was a straight-up UFO. Reporting on the events for Channel 39, journalist Pedro Ruben de Silas claimed the incident was just one of many and was further proof that life existed elsewhere in the universe. He would report how many residents had stepped onto their balconies to see the object, and that when he and his crew zoomed in on them with their cameras, they could see a circle making concentric movements within other circles around the vessel, and that it had a black dot at the center. Several nights later, according to the same newspaper, a resident of Gustavo Ponce witnessed a very similar silver-colored object at around 1.30 a.m. on October 8th. Ponce was heading to bed for the night when he noticed a yellowish light in the night sky. He instinctively reached for his binoculars and placed them to his eyes. He would see a very strange and shiny figure that appeared to be breaking down into a shape that resembled a jellyfish. Only two nights later, at around 8.30pm on October 10th, two journalists witnessed and filmed a bizarre object over the same region. La Patria newspaper once again reported on the incident in their October 18th, 2005 edition. The television crew, Julio Espinoza, Paola Medina, and Jose Romero, worked for the television channel ATB. After having investigated the account in Gustavo Ponce, they decided to head out of the studio and onto the street. By 9 p.m., they had spotted something potentially unusual. They immediately began to film, noticing how the object seemed to change shape, morphing from a rhomboidal shape into a perfect square, and then into a classic flying saucer. Many other residents also witnessed the flying object and made reports, both to the television networks and to the police. One of the most recent sightings to come out of Bolivia occurred on the evening of January 23, 2016, over Santa Cruz. The witness claimed that they were on holiday at the time, and they were in the town of Cochise. During their time there, they had heard numerous stories of strange lights and objects that were often witnessed overhead. On this particular night, he and a friend took a short walk to the outskirts of town to visit a farm that belonged to a friend. It was as they were walking along the quiet country road that they witnessed a mysterious light in the sky. 
To begin with, the light looked only slightly bigger than a star. However, it didn't take them long to realize this light was approaching. It appeared to be heading toward the farm, specifically to a field where the farmer's cows were. The closer the glowing object got, the clearer it was to the pair that this was a vehicle of some kind, disc or cigar-shaped. It appeared to vibrate as it moved. There were also several other intriguing sightings across South America's continent around the same time as the apparent crash landing in Bolivia. Perhaps one of the most intriguing UFO incidents in the years leading up to the crash in Bolivia occurred early in the morning of February 3rd, 1972, in Nazca, Peru. The account comes to us from the book The Mysteries of the Andes by Robert Chereau and is described as one of Peru's most well-known UFO incidents. The event unfolded in the desert town of Puquillo, around 300 miles south of Lima. Feed store owners Tito Rojas and Adolfo Penafiel had a delivery to make and so were looking to get an early start to the day, not wanting to be traveling when the sun was at its highest and hottest. After loading up their truck, they set off on the 30-mile journey to Nazca along the Pan-American Highway. It was as they were traveling down the highway with the brown jagged terrain on both sides of them that the truck's radio began to experience sudden interference. This would steadily worsen so that the broadcast was nothing but static. Before they could contemplate what the reason might be, the car's engine began to struggle and then completely died. Once the truck gave out completely, the two men had no choice but to let it drift to the side of the road before it came to a stop. As the two men got out of the truck and headed to the hood, Tito licked his fingertips and, thinking for sure the battery was dead, touched it to test the theory. As soon as he did, he screamed in pain, joking with his colleague that the battery wasn't, as he had thought, dead. It was then that Adolfo pointed to the sky and exclaimed, Look! At first, he believed he had spotted a car coming toward them in the distance. However, the more they looked at the car, the more they realized it was something a little more out of the ordinary. They could each see a silvery gleam out in the sand dunes. The two men ran to the side of the road, all the while keeping the strange vehicle in view. They stumbled down the embankment and headed out toward the vehicle. As the two men moved closer to it, they could see that the object had a distinct disc shape. They realized without a doubt that what they were looking at was a UFO. The object rested on three landing legs and appeared to be completely sealed all the way around with no visible doors or windows. They estimated that it was around 15 feet high and around 50 feet long. The exterior was highly polished and reflected the morning sun brilliantly. Then, making a strange situation even stranger, they witnessed a figure appear from around the back of the object. Adolfo would later describe the figure as around average human height and wearing tight green clothes under what looked like a transparent spacesuit. The two men, rather than being scared, moved even faster towards the object, eager to greet this cosmic visitor. Much to their surprise, however, it was the figure who appeared scared. 
As soon as it noticed the approaching men, it turned around, re-entered the craft, and moments later, took off into the air, making a shrill metallic whine as it did so. Incidentally, people in the area would claim that they regularly heard this noise, which would suggest that this visitation was a regular occurrence, and this might have been the only time they'd ever been caught. The two men watched, amazed, as the disc disappeared into the sky. They returned to their truck, and when Tito tried the engine, it ticked over straight away, followed quickly by the radio returning to normal. In the months that followed the incident, numerous UFO sightings were reported in Peru. When we consider, at least to some, the connections of the Nazca lines to claims of ancient astronauts, these regular sightings perhaps take on even more intrigue. Six years prior to the landing in Nazca, in June 1966, in Los Moros, Chile, according to an article in Flying Saucer Review by J. Antonio Junés, two workers of the Chilean National Health Service, Manuel Munoz and Luis Astadillo, were returning from the village of Incuhasi following a medical emergency. As they followed the winding roads back to Los Moros in what was relatively a clear night with a full moon, they suddenly noticed a ball of fire pass through the sky in front of them. They would estimate it was approximately 150 feet wide and at first thought it was a shooting star or a meteorite. That was until the ball of fire went out as if someone had switched off a light. Realizing they had something a little out of the ordinary going on, they continued on their way. But their focus kept returning to the sky. It wasn't long before they noticed another strange light that was seemingly moving at a similar rate as their truck. The witnesses would recall how the object glowed extremely brightly and made a cacophony of noise. It also had six protuberances at its periphery, with one of the pair describing the object as being shaped like some kind of nut. What's more, bright rays of brilliant yellow or orange light were emitting from the craft. By this time, the object was much closer to the ground, so much so that it lit up the entire truck. From this close distance, the two witnesses could see a, quote, cabin on the underside of the vehicle, inside of which they could see three occupants, each wearing a helmet that covered their face. The object followed them all the way back to Los Moros, with the two medics running inside to immediately inform their colleagues of the bizarre craft. Five of them joined the two men outside just in time to see the object rising into the air and taking off. Even more intriguing, several months after this incident, the two men would undergo hypnotic regression in order to, supposedly, unlock any further details of the encounter. While not revealing any direct details of the event itself, Munoz would state that the night of the incident, he had suffered a strange dream during which three-feet-tall green men had exited the craft and approached him. He described them as having large heads and very large eyes. In the book, Crash When UFOs Fall from the Sky, by Kevin D. Randall, he documents many of these events. In 1981, in an unknown location in Argentina, 
a disc-shaped object crashed to the ground in front of several witnesses. Shortly after, the object exploded, sending wreckage and debris everywhere. Not long after the event, several military jets were seen in the skies overhead. A military unit arrived at the scene and were claimed to have recovered several large pieces of debris. Some rumors even went around the community that two badly burned bodies were also in the military's possession. Such talk was soon suppressed, however, with the entire area put off limits and under military control. Those who looked to seek information on the event were encouraged not to. Although it doesn't share a direct border with Bolivia, perhaps one of the most interesting claims of a downed UFO in South America occurred in May of 2004. The account was researched and written about by UFO researcher Scott Corrales, who claimed the crippled extraterrestrial craft was discovered near the Raul Leone hydroelectric station, located approximately 90 miles from the Orinoco River. According to Corrales' report, several employees working on a dam in the region reported seeing a strange object overhead, with the reports treated so seriously as to set up security around the facility. Of further interest were reports from several residents of Puerto Ordaz of black helicopters shortly after the sighting of the object. Of even more interest is the discreet presence of what appeared to be United States citizens who were likely intelligence or military officers. According to Corrales, this discreet presence often occurs during such UFO activity and often indicates to researchers unintentionally that a crash has taken place. Corrales further pointed out in his report that a university in Caracas recorded significant seismic activity in the region at the approximate time of the UFO impact. Although investigative units did reach the supposed crash site, heavy rain hampered their progress. Incidentally, the site itself was secured. Rumors swirled that at least one alien being was recovered, as well as the vehicle itself. Although these rumors may prove to just be exactly that. South America has long been a place of interest for UFO researchers, both due to the many UFO reports of the modern age and the fascinating and potential extraterrestrial links in the many creation stories, legends, and folklore of the continent. Further study of both might provide the confirmation that there has been a non-human presence on Earth going back many thousands of years in Bolivia, South America, and beyond. Only time will truly tell until those answers are revealed, and until then, we continue the search somewhere in the skies. This episode was researched and written by Mark Loth. It originally appeared in article form on the website UFO Insight. Under the title, The Tariha Case, UFO Crash in Bolivia, Witnessed by Hundreds. To learn more, visit ufoinsight.com.
Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hi everyone, my name is Andy and I host That UFO Podcast. That UFO Podcast brings you weekly content with some of the biggest names from around the world of UFOs, UAP and associated phenomena. Weekly interviews, roundtable discussions and breaking news podcasts with myself, regular co-host Dan and sometimes special guests will drop in too. That UFO Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever you can download podcasts. Already having hosted names like Luis Elizondo, Sean Cahill, George Knapp, Avi Loeb, Brandon Fugo, Ralph Blumenthal and many more. I hope you come and check us out and as always, keep looking up, you never know what you might see. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag, say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.